This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm your host and the founder of Worth Recovery. I'm also a recovering sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm excited to be with you today for episode 44. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being willing to spend some time with me today. I'm grateful that you're listening and talking about how to improve your recovery today. It's awesome. Today's episode is a continuation from episode 42, Slips and Falls. That was part one, and we're going to look at part two today. But in part one, we discussed neural pathways and how our brain is wired to follow a certain path from a trigger to an acting out behavior. Most of the time this happens without our knowledge or knowing exactly what is going on, at least in the beginning. We have trained our brain based on previous behaviors, and now we're just acting out that training without much thought or awareness, at least when we first enter recovery. I told you the story last time about how I learned about neuropathways and the analogy my therapist gave me about riverbeds, riverbeds in our brain. We started with a trigger at the beginning. The trigger puts us in the water. That is where we enter the river. And then the water with a very swift current does its work and pulls us down the river until we end up at the bottom cold, wet, beat up a little bit and wondering what just happened. My therapist explained that to stop our addictive behavior, to stop the old neural pathways, we need to put a big boulder in the riverbed to stop the water from moving down the river. The same thing works with our addiction. We have to put a big boulder in the neural pathway of addiction. Now, last time I told you a couple stories about my own acting out behaviors with sex, but I just remembered another one that happened to me that had nothing to do with sex. It was a trigger, an anger trigger at work. And I honestly do not remember driving home from work and making cookie dough. But like all of a sudden, I was I was so angry about this thing that happened at work. And all of a sudden, it felt like, you know, just minutes later, I was staring at this big like KitchenAid mixer full of cookie dough. And I couldn't even remember driving home or making the cookie dough. Like I don't remember pulling the ingredients out or mixing it together. And I was sitting there staring at this cookie dough. And all of a sudden, I realized wow, I have more neural pathways than just that lead to sex, right? I have neural pathways that lead to eating. I have neural pathways that lead to watching and binging on TV. Like all of a sudden that whole idea clicked to me that that riverbed is deep and there's a whole lot of different ones that I have to stop and block if I want to stop addictive behavior. Last time we talked about triggers. Oh, P.S. I threw away all that cookie dough. Like all of a sudden I looked at it and I realized what had happened. Like I had just acted out. I mean, I just had acted out and I didn't even realize what was going on. And it made me sick to look at this cookie dough and not remember like being mindful about making it. So I threw it all away. Anyway, 
yeah, I've got a lot of, I got a lot of those. I'm working on them though. So that's good. I'm really working on them. So that's really good. I like it. Anyway, last time we talked about triggers, how we stop triggers. That is the boulder we put in the path. I gave you some suggestions on what I call the trigger release process. This process allows us to secure that boulder and keep it in place so that the water does not flow down that riverbed. But what happens when you blow past that trigger? Or maybe you don't even recognize the trigger at first. I totally get that, like I just said about cookie dough. I didn't even recognize that I had that neural pathway until I was at the bottom. That is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what happens when we go one step further when we slip. What happens when we slip? Now, before we jump in, let me make a few quick announcements, as I always do. Our first Worth Recovery event is just two weeks away. I'm so excited. Engaged in the Struggle is scheduled for Saturday, July 16th in the Seattle, Washington area. I totally hope that you're going to join us and be there. I'm excited to get to know you, spend some time with you, and hear your stories. You've heard about our speakers in our lineup, and all that information is on the website, worthrecovery.com. If you live in Washington State, I hope you're going to come. I just found out about people coming down from the Vancouver, Canada area, so I'm excited that you're going to be there. We are expecting about 50 women. Again, that's Saturday, July 16th in Renton, Washington, and you can get all the information at worthrecovery.com. And if you don't live in Seattle or you're listening to this after July 16th, more announcements are on their way. I'm super excited that we're going to have these events um, in different areas around the country and we'll be able to all meet and get to know each other. Next, I wanna give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. Thank you for your support. It's because of the Worth Warriors that we can keep this podcast free for all of you listening. It's highly important to me that when a woman in sex addiction reaches out, there is another woman to connect with. Being a Worth Warrior helps to support that connection so that when women reach out, there are other women there to connect with. For as little as $4 a month, that's less than 50 cents an episode, you can support other women in recovery. The other thing you can do is to share this podcast. It is still growing like crazy. So share this podcast with other women that you think might benefit. All the information for both our upcoming event as well as our Worth Warriors can be found on the website worthrecovery.com. Now, today, so what do you do when you slip? How do you recover from a slip? How do you prevent a slip from turning into a relapse? That's the real question. How do you prevent a slip from turning into a relapse? That is what I want to talk about today on episode 44. If you stop the trigger, you're in good shape, right? We talked about that last time. If you've executed your trigger release process and you're on your way to getting back to emotional serenity, you are in a good place and you're making those steps to get back. Now, the problem I had was that I didn't always know what my triggers were. I couldn't always figure them out. In fact, most of the time, I couldn't predict them at all. (laughs) If I could identify them in the moment, then things would work out and I could get myself back to peace. But many times I couldn't do that. Many times I couldn't identify them. I didn't even always know that I was triggered. I had spent most of my life triggered by one thing or another. It almost felt normal. Well, my my version of normal, you know what? I, I really don't like that word normal. So let's say familiar. It felt familiar to be triggered. The idea of being triggered, emotionally disturbed, was familiar to me. It had been my natural state. And that is why I had developed these neural pathways of addiction to begin with. 
So identifying these triggers was difficult. Because I couldn't predict all my triggers, there were many times when I slipped. That is the cycle. You know, there are official terms for the addictive cycle, preoccupation, ritualization, etc., right? All those technical terms. But I just like to think of it this way. Trigger, slip, fall. It's probably oversimplified, okay, but it works for me. We're triggered. If we don't stop it there, we slip into the riverbed, into the neural pathway of addiction, and we fall. We end up at the bottom. Because I couldn't always predict my triggers, there were many, many times when I slipped. Now, I define a slip as a first step towards acting out, but not crossing my bottom line behaviors, right? So if masturbation is a bottom line behavior, then a slip would be any move towards that. Touching myself, caressing myself, fantasizing about masturbation, etc. Any move towards that behavior would be considered a slip. One of my bottom line behaviors is phone sex. I will not have phone sex with anyone, period. Some of the things I consider slips in this area are phone flirting with men I have no romantic interest in. Leveraging my voice on the phone to willfully and knowingly arouse or attract the man I'm talking to. That can be like customer service reps I'm on the phone with or others. Also, talking with a man on the phone about phone sex is also a no-go for me. Any of these things would be considered a slip. I'm on my way to acting out, but I haven't crossed that bottom line behavior of actually having phone sex. When this is the case, when I've slipped and I'm on my way down, I must figure out a way to slow down. I have to slow down that current so that it doesn't take me to the end without realizing what happened. I call this slowdown creating space. One of the great things about rivers is the amazing current that they have, right? They cut through dirt, through mud, through rock. It creates amazing canyons like the Grand Canyon. The water moves and moves quickly, which is fun if you're river rafting, totally fun. But if you're trying to stop the river or you're trying to get out of the river, trying to stop the flow and the current, then this is a problem. And this is us in addiction. When the river starts, when we let the current begin, we have to find a way to slow down, to create space between the slipping and the acting out. Now for me... I use a timer to create space. I told you in the last episode that I like timers. If you've listened to any of my episodes, you know that I love timers. I just love timers. I use them for so many things. Usually I just use my phone as my timer. But let's talk about how I use it here. When I've slipped and I want so desperately to just act out, I put myself on a timer. I tell myself, you can act out if you still want to in one hour. Well, at first I used one hour. Then I doubled it. Then I doubled it again and again. Right now, my current practice is 24 hours. If I slip and I want to act out, I tell myself, I create space for myself, and I tell myself, you can totally act out in 24 hours. You absolutely can act out any way you want to in 24 hours. Now, this is highly effective for me. What this does is create that space. The urgency to act out slows down. The fighting slows down. I tell myself over and over again, you can act out in 24 hours. And my pulse slows down. The adrenaline rush goes away. The fighting stops. My mind stops fighting. The urgency, the rush of emotion, the need to act out, it all slows down. 
the river slows down, the current slows down, and all of a sudden I have some space, some breathing room. Now, again, the, when I was first doing it, it was an hour. That was all I could handle, like an hour. And then I doubled that and it was two hours and then it was four and then it was eight. And my current practice is 24 hours. I tell myself if I really, really need to or want to act out and I just feel that pull incredibly strong, I create some space for myself by saying in 24 hours, you can, you can wait 24 hours, right? I can wait 24 hours to act out. And so I'll create space for myself and I'll tell myself 24 hours and my body, I can feel my body relax and slow down a little bit. The purpose of this space, this breathing room, of course, is to allow me to really think through what to do next what I really want to do next. This allows my frontal cortex, the decision-making portion of my brain, to actually make a decision and not just get swept down the river with the current. Remember, the current is that neural pathway that you have been using for years, for years. And so by allowing space, I give myself time to get out of the river, if that's what I choose. Time to get out of the current. It doesn't mean I always will but at least I'm giving myself a fighting chance by slowing the current down and creating an off-ramp, an exit, to be able to get out of the current. I always start this by giving myself permission to act out. I will say to myself out loud if I can, Amy, if this is what you want, if this is really what you want, you can act out. Again, this calms me down. It stops the fight building up inside of me. Now, what do you do when you've bought yourself some time? What do you do now? What do you do with that space? Because if I just stay in ritualization, that space isn't really going to help me. But there are some things that I have found helpful when I create this space for me. Okay, my goal in creating space is to figure out how I got here. How did I get this far? How did I get into the river anyway? How did I blow past the trigger? What was the trigger? And how am I going to avoid getting swept away this far? Now, to do this, I perform what I call a slip autopsy. This is not my original idea. There are several different forms or directions on how to do this that I've accumulated from different sources throughout my recovery. They don't always call them an autopsy, but they call them different ways, different things, different approaches to be able to think through what's going on for you. There are things I have found helpful about the different approaches and things I have found redundant or just not helpful. And so what I've done is I've pulled together the things that have really helped me. And again, everybody's unique, but these are things that have really helped me. And I created a worksheet for you. You can access it on the website, worthrecovery.com, that will talk you through this entire worksheet and what I have found helpful. Now, an autopsy. I call it a slip autopsy. An autopsy is a procedure done on a corpse, right, (laughs) death here, to discover the cause of death and any or all contributing factors to the demise of the person or animal. In the TV show Bones, my favorite TV show, Dr. Temperance Brennan, a brilliant forensic anthropologist, is known for discovering the cause of death for people with as little as a tooth. That's all she's got about the body. It's just one tooth. But yet she's able to discover the cause of death. Crazy how much information is in just one of our teeth. And that is true of our slips as well. There's so much information, so many things that we can learn from performing this slip autopsy. 
We want to do that exact same thing with our slip. We want to find the cause. We want to find what led us to get this far and examine all the contributing factors. And we call that, I call that a slip autopsy. And I have a commitment to myself that if anytime, anytime I put myself on a timer, anytime I say, okay, you can act out in an hour, my commitment is before that hour is up, before I can act out, I perform a slip autopsy. An autopsy is a procedure, meaning there is a prescribed process that we follow. The reason I love procedures with checklists and processes is because it takes the guesswork out of it. When I'm already worked up, when I've already slipped, I'm in one of two states. First, I'm in a shame spiral, cursing myself for what happened. Or two, I'm in a state of euphoria, watching the clock, waiting for my time to be up so I can act out. Now, either of those states is not a good one for me to be in when I'm trying to make a decision or I'm trying to rationally think through or logic my way through something. That is why a procedure, having a set plan, is so important for us when we're in this state. And that is why I make the commitment to myself that whenever I put myself on a timer, I perform a slip autopsy. It's what I have to do before I can act out. I wait the time and I perform the slip autopsy. Now this worksheet is the best of. It's the best of questions that I've seen on a variety of different places that have helped me to stay sober after I've slipped. So what I wanna do is talk you through the key points of this autopsy and why they work for me. And hopefully they'll be able to work for you as well. If you haven't downloaded the worksheet, you might wanna do that now. Go ahead and click pause, I'll wait for you. Or you can just go ahead and listen, but make sure that you download that worksheet so you've got it available for you should you find yourself in this situation. So first, it asks for the date and the time of a few things. First, your current sobriety date, the date and time of your slip, and then the date and time that you are allowing yourself to act out. So that's like your timer, right? So it might be one hour from now or two hours or 24 hours, whatever it is. This helps you see exactly how desperate your situation is. And then I also put on the worksheet this, this sentence, my new sobriety date will be, and then there's a blank there. Now this is where I'm starting to see some of the consequences of my actions if I decide to act out. Many times that alone, looking at my current sobriety date and then what my new sobriety date will be, many times just that alone will prevent me from slipping further. I don't wanna change my sobriety date. I don't wanna get on here in my next podcast and say my sobriety date was July 3rd of 2016. No, that's not gonna happen, right? I wanna keep my December 2nd sobriety date. Sometimes just writing those and seeing those across the page from each other is enough to get me to stop. Now, if it's not enough for you, it's okay, there's more. There's more on the worksheet. So second, in detail, I describe what happened. An example, in one of my previous jobs, I spent a lot of time on the phone with clients. By far, the majority of the clients I worked with were men. There was one in in particular, Casey, that would flirt with me on the phone endlessly. Now, I think that was just his personality. He was a flirt. He would initiate it, but I would participate and enjoy it as well. I had a slip with him a few times. (laughs) Yeah. On my worksheet, I would write, I flirted on the phone with Casey. I manipulated my voice on purpose to arouse him. When he told me he thought my voice was hot, I didn't stop the flirting, but kept going. So I pushed right past that initial trigger, right? 
We talked about personal things for about 30 minutes. His rocky relationship with his girlfriend, my lack of boyfriend, and how hot he thought my voice was. It wasn't until he said, I'd love to hear you whisper in my ear, that I realized what I was doing and that this was a massive slip for me. I hate saying that, but that was the truth. I finally woke up and realized what was happening when he said something about me whispering in his ear. After that, I got off the phone quickly. So that might be my detailed description of what happened. That is what I would write on my paper for the description. Not something weak like I flirted on the phone with Casey, but all the details. Remember, an autopsy is all about the details. And so we write them all out. Now, I remembered this day <laughs> that I I remember that day with Casey. Yeah, I got off the phone, but I was in trouble. The rush had set in. I wanted to whisper in his ear. I wanted to call him back and I wanted to act out with him. I gave myself two hours. This was a little bit early on in my recovery. I gave myself two hours. I would call him back in two hours. And if he still wanted, we would act out. Now, the next few questions on the worksheet have to do with the events and the feelings of your life for the past 72 hours. Now, the reason we look into the recent past is to try and make connections to help us build awareness about how we got there. How did, how did I get here? 72 hours is three days. There are three columns for you to fill out. In one side of the column, you list the events. Try to list everything. I don't use a timeline. I just work my way through things like work, dinner with friends, argument with boss, conversation with mom, library, etc. Whatever it is that you did. I went to the gym, things like that. The other side of the column is for the emotions or the feelings you have had over the last three days. I try to list an emotion for every event. So like what was the primary emotion you felt during that event or as a result of that event? Now, I don't remember all the exact details from my experience with Casey, but I remember but I remember a couple. In the previous three days, I had had a fight with my boss and a major rejection by a friend. So the primary feelings I had been experiencing were powerlessness, loss of control, sadness, and loneliness. Now, maybe your emotions haven't been negative when you're performing this autopsy. Maybe they've actually been positive. I have that problem as well. I feel joy. And so I want to act out. It's like any feeling I have leads to acting out. That's how it was at the beginning, for sure. Any feeling will lead to acting out. I want to extend the joy and the good feelings. Whatever the events or emotions are, it doesn't matter. You just write them down because we're trying to build connection here. The next question I have found to be like the crucial turning point for me. What need am I trying to fill by acting out in this example, <laughs> there is no mystery why I slipped. When Casey showed interest in my voice that day, I felt like I had power. I felt powerful. Being able to manipulate him with just my voice, that's a powerful feeling. And that was compensating for the lack of power I was feeling at work. The fact that it was another work situation also played into that feeling of lack of power. Also, I was lonely and sad about the rejection I had experienced. So again, this interest in my voice was highly enticing. But in the moment, I wasn't able to put those things together. It wasn't until I filled out my form that I could see the connections on what had started this slip to begin with. The needs I was trying to fill were control and connection. And I wouldn't have made those connections had I not actually asked myself, what need am I trying to fill by acting out? 
Next, next we look at our options. We answer the question, how could I fill these needs in healthy ways? There is nothing wrong with having needs, people, nothing. And there is nothing wrong with meeting our needs. In fact, that is one of our primary responsibilities as human beings is to meet our own needs. We are responsible for meeting our own needs. It is the method we use that can be healthy or unhealthy. There are squares here for you to look at your options. You write the need at the top and you list one healthy way you could get that need met. For me, I list control and connection. Control with my boss is about boundaries. I had let him walk all over my boundaries and I needed to stop that. So what I wrote was I could reiterate my boundaries and hold my boss accountable for what had happened right? That would be something healthy I could do to re-engage with my boss and to help me feel like I had a little bit more control. And then connection. With this loss of the friend, I could reach out to other friends and talk about what happened, right? That would be a healthy way that I could get my needs met. Now, these are not the easier option. (laughs) The easier option would be to call Casey back and act out for sure. At least that would be the faster option. And for a few minutes, it would feel good, I'm sure. But that wouldn't lead to the results I wanted long term. And as I'm working through this worksheet, I'm really starting to see that. By this time, this far down the worksheet, the wind has been taken out of my sails. The rush is gone. I realize that acting out really isn't going to solve the problems I have or the emotions I don't want to feel. And so now I kind of have to make a decision, right? The next question asks what my intentions are. Are you committed to staying sober? If you answer yes, then you need to complete the three activities listed on the worksheet. Call your sponsor, find healthy ways to get your needs fulfilled, and make a plan to stay sober for the next 24 hours. That goes back to like your trigger release process. If you answer no, then the worksheet reminds you to review your emergency kit. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go find the episode on emergency kits. Call your sponsor for help and also review your relapse contract. Like I said, if I complete this worksheet though, usually the wind is out of my sails. I'm starting to see what would happen if I acted out. These are the things that have helped me the most. When I see in black and white the events and emotions of the past three days, the needs I'm trying to get met by acting out and realize that acting out isn't really going to fix it, It isn't really going to actually help me. Once that's down on paper in front of me, I can't deny it. And usually I won't go further. This isn't the only way to come out of a slip. There are lots of things you can do, but this is the way that has worked for me. This worksheet has worked for me hundreds of times probably. Maybe that's an exaggeration. Well, maybe not in five years, probably, probably like hundreds of times. But there are other ways as well. The key here is finding what will work for you. In conclusion, guys, slips are dangerous. Slips mean we're in the water. We're sliding down the riverbed, headed towards relapse. It is essential that we stop the slipping and the sliding. We have to slow the current. We have to create space between the impulse, the trigger, and the result, the relapse. If we can create this space, if we can slow the process down and complete a slip autopsy, we have an actual fighting chance of stopping the slip, getting out of the riverbed, and putting ourselves back in emotional peace and serenity. I hope this process I've created can help you as much as it has helped me. 
We are not resigned to continue at the mercy of the riverbeds in our heads. Not at all. We can create new neural pathways. We can put boulders in place and work on adding new behaviors at creating healthy neural pathways that help us to live life, feel emotions, and be present. Remember, you can download this worksheet at our website, worthrecovery.com. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone down that riverbed, no matter how you feel in this very moment, you are worth recovery, 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. Have a great day. I think about you. I pray for you. I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.